Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to another episode of Podcast on Fifth Ave. I'm Taylor Haas. You're Danny Shirey. I thought we'd be talking about playoff uh, season, playoff series previews right now. We're not. Uh, <laughs> I told everybody last week the Pens weren't going to make it. I, I just like, I'm telling you, I like most of the season, I was like, Crosby's going to drag them in. Like, no matter how bad they are, Crosby will drag them in. And then, like, when it came down to the wire, it's just like the, something's telling me it's just not going to happen. Well, I mean, at the end, especially when all they had to do was beat the Blackhawks and the Blue Jackets, the two worst teams in the league who, I mean, obviously the players aren't trying to lose, but you'd think management would be trying to lose so they could get their Bedard odds. They couldn't even do either of them. And now the Ducks have the best odds for Bedard. The Blue Jackets and the Blackhawks hated Bedard so much that they just had to beat the Penguins. but. There's not a whole lot to break down about this because we were not even all the way back from Columbus yet. We were in the car on the way back from Columbus when uh, the Penguins dropped a bomb, not really an unexpected bomb. Uh, Ron Hextall fired, Brian Burke fired, assistant GM Chris Pryor fired. Um, probably the least surprising move of all time, is it not? Uh, no, I mean... After <laughs> leading up to the trade deadline, like there were so many people that were like, I'm really scared to see how Hextall is going to like navigate this trade deadline. Then the second that he like hammered home that Mikhail Granlund deal, everybody was like, all right, like you got to cut, you got to cut ties with this guy. You got to cut ties. Yeah. And then obviously the, um, not making the playoffs. It's hard to say if, if that, if, you know, if they would have managed to sneak in, if they still would have done it. Cause I mean, you'd had to imagine they'd been a first round exit anyway. Um, Fenway, we actually got to t- talk to Fenway today. We're going to talk about those kind of takeaways in the, in the third segment. Um, but something I did ask, um, David Beast, and he's, he's the, the rep that series, the executive, he's the Penguins alternate governor. Um, he has a, he does a bunch of different things for Fenway, but I did ask him like kind of what was the the deal, what, you know, finally made you, you do it. And then also had they made the playoffs, would you have, do you still think you would have ended up firing him? And he didn't like answer either of those questions. I think it's just, you know, it, it, it was clear that he really respects um, Hextall as a person, Burke and Pryor too, and he, they weren't going to rag on him. So they didn't really get into anything about why they did. I mean, it's clear why they did it. But, you know, if they would have made the playoffs, would have made any of a difference? Would they have let him 
uh, stick around a little bit longer. We don't know. Uh, I, I, I just can't imagine that they would have like they, they seem uh, to use like a, a Mike Sullivan term like they seem cerebral enough to the point where they wouldn't like let uh, an outcome like that really influence their decision one way or the other. Cause like they had, they had to know, even if they got it, like they weren't getting by Boston. <laughs> Cause Mike Sullivan term could have been anyone. I thought you were going to say conscientious <laughs> <laughs> stick to it. If it is. Um, so I just look, I guess we can look back at kind of Hexall's time here as GM. It's really hard to look at, uh, I mean, Burke and Pryor, because not we really don't know sure. what they did. Yeah, I'm. I, that that's the thing. Um, like Burke, president of Hockey Ops, that's not really like a like a defined role, or he has like responsibilities because there wasn't one before him. Like your GM and your president or vice president of Hockey Ops can be the same person. Like Rutherford was GM and vice president of hockey ops. All that meant was that Burke was between Hextall and ownership. So he was like that kind of go between. Doesn't matter. Looking at Hextall, you could point to a number of different things. Um, The one that stands out to me, I don't know if I would say that it's like the worst move. Um, It's just like the most mind blowing, which is the Carter extension. At his age, what was he, 37 at the time? You give him two years, that alone is kind of crazy. 3.125 million cap it, that's also a little crazy. Full no movement clause is insane. Well, here's what's crazy to me, Taylor. Not only everything you just mentioned. And I wasn't even done because they also (laughs) want to make it 35 plus. And so, you know, 35 plus, that means no cap relief from a buyout, no um, cap relief from early retirement. That's not something that comes with all players who are over 35. It's because they front loaded the contract and they only front loaded it ever so slightly to give him that protection. So that was very deliberate. Why did they do even a fraction of that? As uh, you learn? Well, because Carter was one of Hextall's boys back in Philly. That I mean, that's that's really the only logical thing. Uh, and LA, yeah, it's it's one of those things that only th- things that makes logical sense. Or he's like he's taking care of one of his boys. Uh, but like the Carter, ex- and and I want to get it out of the way. Like the Carter trade by itself was fine, and I, I'd argue oh, yeah. it was it was really good. Like Carter yes. scored a bunch of goals this season. He came over even in the postseason. He was scoring and like kind of. Obviously, it was in a much different manner, but you remember back when they won back-to-back cups and you, like, in crunch time, you wanted the puck on Phil Kessel's stick. Well, during that Islanders series, like, you, you kind of wanted the puck on Jeff Carter's stick. Like, good things happened when the puck was on his stick, so that was fine. But then when you're halfway into the next season, when you're facing a, a huge offseason where you've got two franchise legends who have contracts that are expiring and you don't know if you're going to have enough money and then you jump the gun... And right. give that to Carter in the middle of the season before even seeing how the rest of his season would play out. Because like at that age, especially for a guy like Carter, who was never the most skilled guy in the world, not letting that letting that play out the rest of the season and seeing how he performed. But then the fact that you get to the offseason and Hextall wanted to play hardball with Evgeny Malkin. Oh, my God. Yeah. The, yeah. The Is that the only in-season extension that a player got because Hextall had had spoken a couple times about how he really doesn't like negotiating in-season because it can be a distraction. 
Um, but I guess so when you're throwing what, what exactly, up, did he sign a 37 year old in the middle of the season when he had well, a couple of franchise legends to uh, take care I was, of? I was just about to say that, like, he doesn't like negotiating in season. If he's throwing literally every possible concession at Carter, there probably wasn't much negotiating anyway. What could Carter have possibly been asking for more than that? Um, beyond that, I guess Carter's a little included in this, but the handling of the expansion draft bungled that. Protecting Carter, at the, you look at it now and you're like, that's crazy, looking like what all became of it. You also do have to kind of remember that they were going into that season without Crosby and Malkin because they both had surgery. Carter was, you know, a, a top six center at the time. If you would have lost him, they would have been in, in real trouble because, again, at the time, Carter was pretty good. Um, but it, the... It, it, even beyond that, every, it's, it's everything else. So you knew at the time, based off of, you know, the protection rules, you were going to lose a pretty good forward. That was a given. Um, so it, to their response to that was to lose two um, because they traded McCann to Toronto for Hallander and a seventh-round pick. Hallander, by the way, it sounds like he's going to sign in Sweden. This summer so you're losing him so even though that was like okay kind of a good prospect to get back sounds like it's they're not gonna even get anything out of that and then so seattle takes Tr mccann from toronto that's why toronto wanted mccann's to protect their own guys and then you lose tanev who was a good piece in the in the bottom in the bottom six so and then mccann goes on to be a 40 goal scorer yeah it, so I'm going to attempt to do this with as like as little revisionist history as possible because like it, it has gotten out of hand now. Like, yes, it was bungled, but like some of the takes I see specifically about how the expansion draft was handled. It's like, no, like that, that's not what everybody was thinking at the time. Like this is definitely some like hindsight is 2020 going on here. With that being said, Jared McCann was coming off like everybody said he like didn't break out until he got to Seattle. Jared McCann broke out his last season with the Penguins. Like he he was a legitimate impact player in the middle six who contributed on the power play. He was putting up a lot of points. Um, I, th I think he had like something in 30, 30 something and 40 some games, something like that. Um, but above all else, McCann, and this wasn't just his last season with the Penguins, it was each season with the Penguins. McCann had really, really good defensive impacts. Well, you don't really think of McCann as a guy who's like going to win a Selkie or anything, and he's not. Um, but there's a difference between like having good defensive attributes like body checking or stick checking or intercepting passes and like actually having good defensive impacts and like doing things that help your team limit quality chances against. Well, McCann was the latter of that. So you, t you take a look at all these things and the kind of player he was and the fact that he was a relatively young forward with a bunch of speed and that absolutely lethal shot that he had and the fact that he was just coming off a breakout season. You go, one, okay, how, weren't, how wasn't Hextall able to get more in a return for him? But secondly, they set, Hextall legitimately said they moved on from McCann because they knew he was in line for a pay raise and they were worried about the salary cap. Well, the thing is, McCann still had another season on his deal that I want to say it was $2.92 million, $2.94 million, something like that. And at the point in time, like, yes, again, revisionist history here. But at the point in time, I was like, they really need to be going as all in as possible this immediate point in time because you don't know how long Crosby and Malkin are going to continue to do their thing. 
well, they've continued to do their thing in the couple seasons since McCann has been gone. But at that point in time, if you could have a player like McCann in your lineup at a 2.9 whatever million dollar cap hit, why not just have him in the lineup that season and then worry about losing him later? Like it, it was just so much galaxy braining went on with that whole thing. Um, but then you look at Tanev, it's like, I was fine with, with like, I don't, I don't think he was a guy that they should have protected in, on their list anyway. Um, you, right. I mean, because I mean, you remember at the time, I think the debate was like, okay, are you going to expose like McCann or Tanev? Or which one are you going to lose out of McCann and Tanev? And Hextall's like, well, why not both? Well, like, right. And then on I, the taco commercial. Why yeah. So, yeah. And I think the bigger issue was that McCann's 2.9 is off the books. And then all of a sudden you get, uh, you get Tanev's cap hit off the books. So you've, you've got, you freed up a little cap space here and then you go throw 2.75 million a season at Brock McGinn. Yes. That's but, a worse brand. It's just, uh, well, I, it's I, was, I was around, you know, I was like covering the team during that. And like McGinn, we get like the introductory zoom. And I think like the the version of McGinn they were like trying to sell us was like, oh, he is a just another ver- he's like a Brandon Tanev. He's he's a light version Could of a Brandon Tanev. Could not have been further from the truth. And I remember like we're asking him about like you know questions about like related to like replacing like Brandon Tanev's role, and it's like com- not in any in any way like role like just energy and anything. He's that was not a thing in common with Brandon Tanev. I think maybe they shared a lot. They have they're in the same locker salt. That's about it. Um, and then this trade deadline. Uh, this this trade deadline was, you can't fault him for Kulikov and Benino. I mean, not that they were very inspired acquisitions to start. I mean, like Benino absolutely, I think, would have improved like the bottom six. Right. It's not his fault that they came in and immediately got hurt. And also, the Kulikov addition, the main gain from that was unloading McGinn. Because McGinn yeah, had that, left. That's the other thing. Like, even if... And I really don't even know what to make of like the what was it five games that Kulikov played. Like I, I kind of thought he's, I kind of thought he like stunk in those games a little bit. But does it really even matter? But like, like you said, the the important thing there was getting out from under McGinn's cap it because he was still on the books for another two seasons after this one. Yes. Now you're looking, he like had he had that stretch where he went what like 27 games without a point or something. You're looking at it like holy crap, you got to deal with this cap hit for another couple seasons. So the fact that they were able to get out from under it for a guy that's coming off the books at the end of this season, as in right now, that was fine. Um, and, and we can talk about Sullivan's utilization of Kulikov when he was healthy or whatever. But like, I, I'm with you. I think had Benino been healthy, like he would have been a nice little spark there, maybe on like the fourth line. Um, you could chip in with a little bit of goals and you know you're going to get decent defensive impacts out of him. So that was fine. You can't blame Hextall for either of those guys getting hurt. But the Granlin trade... Well, but before we get to that, I was going to, because we were on the topic of, of McGinn, the fact that Hextall waited so long to address McGinn yeah. and Kapanen, like the, the third line, obviously you can't move Carter, but Kapanen and McGinn, that line was a problem like the entire season. And Hextall waited until what, it was like a week and a half before the deadline to wave Kapanen and then he waved McGinn and then you had to trade McGinn. He got a gift from St. Louis claiming Kapanen and then being able to unload McGinn. So yeah, waited too long to do that. And then clearing off all that, all that space, 5.5 million, a lot of money to make a splash. And then he did 
as you were saying. Yeah, the, well, uh, yeah. I, I'm going to jump back to the Kapanen thing for a second. So there, there was a report from Frank Zaravalli, I believe it was after the Blues had already claimed uh, Kapanen off waivers. But Saravalli reported that the day before Kapanen went on waivers, Hextall like sent an email to all NHL GMs. It was like, hey, guys, like I'm still trying to trade Kapanen. <laughs> it's like, to your point, why did you wait so long to do that? And then you start going, okay, why are you trading this guy that you were so confident to give a, a two-year contract to just this past offseason? Do you remember what Burke said on, I believe it was on like the Penguin, it was on the Penguins radio show about why they thought Kapanen was set to have a bounce back year. This is Brian Burke saying this on the Penguins radio show. Uh, go it's ahead. Because he got a new girlfriend over the summer. And guys, um, when they get a new girlfriend, sometimes they play a little better. That's that's those are the people that have been running your Pittsburgh Penguins people. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I, I I would just like to get it out of the way too, because like these guys have taken so much flack, especially over like this past week, but basically over the course of the season, like they they genuinely seem like good human beings, and I don't yeah. think that should get lost in this conversation. Like they seem like really good people. Um, not so much Hextall, not so much Hextall for me, but like Burke was extremely approachable and like would always be willing to talk to you and have conversations and like was very personable and friendly. Um, and and like for for me, Hextall was that too. I just, I think just being on the road more when Hextall was, you could absolutely go up to Hextall, talk to him anytime, anytime he'd see me, he'd say, hi, Taylor, good morning. How are you? And, um, make small talk. The last time I saw, um, both of both of them, we were in an elevator after practice and they were asking me about like the women's world championships. Uh, and we were talking about like Marie Philippe Poulin, Captain Canner, and just how great she is because she's scoring more game winners. But yeah, no, both, both of them, um, nothing but good things to say. Okay. So the Granlin trade. <laughs> Granlin trade. <laughs> the Granlin trade. I don't, it, it just, it was a bad trade. I, we've, we've made the point before that like I think Hextall looks at guys who like put up points a couple of years ago, who's like, who haven't really been producing too much. And he's like, ah, there's something we can fix that. Well, even, even going back to Kapanen, like during training camp, this past training camp, when I think it was the first time that we had gotten Hextall, like since everybody had gotten back together. And I asked him, I was like, Ron is the reason that you went two years on Kapanen's deal to kind of give him a bit of confidence heading into this season. Cause you know, he definitely dealt with some confidence issues and um, at, at times during last season, he goes, no, it just, you know, kind of worked out that way because of the arbitration. And then again, when he was asked about capping and later in the season, when he was speaking, he was like, well, you know, it's like a couple years ago, Cappy had 30, 30 points in 40 games. And then he mentioned that like three or four other times. And then he, he said the same thing about Grandland. He's like, Oh yeah. The X, whether 64 points in 80, 80 games with the Predators last year. And I'm sitting here thinking the kind of analysis I do, like just as a beat reporter, as a fan of hockey, I'm like, if I can uncover things that a general manager of a professional team isn't like, what exactly is your player evaluation process? Because almost immediately of just watching Granlin film, you're like, okay, this definitely doesn't look like a dude who, puts up as many points as like th- he did last season, for instance. So then you start diving into the data and paying more attention to different components of his game. And you look, it's like, we well, put up 64 points in 80 games or whatever it was last season. 
but 28 of them came on the power play. Well, first of all, he's not sniffing PP one time in Pittsburgh at all with Crosby, Malkin, Raquel, um, Latang. Like he's not getting on PP one with those guys there. So there's already, you can already account for a bit of a drop in production there. Then you account for the fact that he was legitimately playing first line minutes with like Philip Forsberg and Matt Duchesne versus playing with Ryan Paling, Danton Heinen on the third line. There's another account for that drop in production, but it's like somebody who's running a professional hockey team should be able to figure that out and uncover that before you go ahead and they're like, oh yeah, let me go throw a second round pick at this guy. And sure, I'll take on two more years of him at a $5 million cap hit and piss away all the cap space that I just created out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, I think, and because people, you know, 5.5 million, they cleared up. I think a lot of people were like, oh my God, this is JT Miller. Not that that would have been like something that would have been when when the idea of Miller first came out, it was like, oh my God, Ron, you really shouldn't do that. And then they acquired Granlin, and it's like, oh my gosh, I almost wish they would have got Miller. Right, that's the thing. Like JT Miller, exactly what you said. It's like this is probably not going to be a great move. But then, but comparison's sake, I the reason people are so high on JT Miller here is because he's from Pittsburgh. I don't know if there's any other market in the NHL where fan, the fan base does that. Like, you know, we've been talking about USA Saros a lot as a goaltending oh, People option. will not shut up about no, John Gibson. That's the thing. Like, well, like, like, you know, I, I, I posted, like, I think the clip from last week and someone replied back, like, well, why not? Why Saros over John Gibson? I was like, well, I'd take the younger and better goalie. Even though he's Finland, it's that it's that simple. It's that simple. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We're this segment's running long, but we've talked about it at length in other episodes. But also the failure just to address goaltending. Jari hurt, um, as he said after the game in Columbus, pretty much the entire year. He was playing through it. He wasn't sitting out more because it sounds like he, you know, he said it wouldn't have made a difference um, sitting out. It just I think a matter of time. Um, and it sounds like if he would have rested it, it wouldn't have made it, you know, sped it up. Uh, and playing really wasn't exacerbating it. It was just hard for him to do. Um, but knowing that they, like we, we just, I mean, we kind of knew that he was playing hurt most of the year, but they knew the extent of it and they didn't do anything about it. Um, that's yeah, one of the so, other failures. So like, as we've talked before, I, I was, on the other side of the fence and a lot of people were and like I, I tried to rationalize a little bit why they didn't do anything but after Jari said what he said after the finale and was like yes like I this is impacting me every day like wasn't gonna get better then you're really like okay well if if he did end up getting legitimately hurt you know for a fact that you can't ride Casey DeSmith to any sort of like promised land you just know that's not gonna happen yeah if you need him for two three games maybe he'll be okay depending on which Casey DeSmith you get but knowing that the fact that legitimately nothing was done is is mind-boggling and that really made me kind of shift my um like viewpoint on that because like I said I was like you know you know they're up against the cap you really got to pick and choose where you're going to spend your money they kind of just had to take a risk there and goal but when you, when you have verified evidence you have the cold hard facts that your number one who has been wishy-washy for most of the season is banged up and isn't going to get better and you don't do anything is insane. Like uh, it, there's so many different factors here. Like 
and he's gone. So I guess we don't really need to hold back, but like he had so many fireable offenses that it's almost yes. crazy that it took this long for him to get fired. Yeah. Um, so th- the first segment of the show, we aim for eight minutes. We we're, we're in minute 23 now. That's because <laughs> there's so much bad to talk about. We got to wrap this segment up. But first Raquel trade, very good. And the Raquel extension, very good. Do you have another good thing to mention that we don't have to go to in detail? Uh, yeah. So before last season, like the, the, the unrestricted free agent signings of Evan Rodriguez and Danton Heinen were friggin' phenomenal. Like they were two of the Penguins best depth players last year. I know Heinen was disappointing this season and obviously Rodriguez left, but both of those players were on the Penguins books that season for like $2.1 million, $2.2 million or something, which was extreme value for what they got. Like Rodriguez was one of the best play drivers in the league last season, even though he had a very, very quiet second half. And Heinen, he was one of the Penguins' most efficient goal scorers at five-on-five, despite the fact that he averaged the least ice time of any regular Penguins skater last year. So, like, those were some good things, and it was not entirely bad. But if you're having to point to $2 million depth signings as, like, some of, like, the best things you did in your time there, it's probably just not a good GM. Yeah. Uh, Claiming Mark Friedman just for the entertainment value, that's another plus. We're going to wrap this segment up finally. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, potential candidates to replace Hexaw as GM. So stay with us. All right, and we're back. Uh, so we're going to talk about a couple candidates who could potentially replace Hexaw. As GM, you wrote a story about that today, Danny. Before we get into that, because, I mean, there are obviously a couple of firings here. Um, three. That doesn't mean that they're going to make three hires. So something from the the press conference today with Kevin Ackland is there too, president of business operations, and then, um, you know, the Fenway rep. Uh, so the Burke being president of hockey operations they're not necessarily going to hire like a one for one to replace them. Like, I'm, you know, I said like Jim Rutherford was his own VP of hockey ops. They're leaving all of this um, up in the air. He said, it's a clean slate. They really didn't even have much to say about like characteristics, traits that they're looking for uh, in a GM. I know the only thing I can really offer that I know is that Fenway is very analytic minded. Um, that's something that like Kevin Acklin told me was the last summer when we talked and we were just talking about like initial changes like Fenway had been making analytics in every sense. So like beyond just hockey operations, because they did bolster their analytics staff and hockey operations, but even like the business side of things and like ticket sales and like just the way they utilize analytics. So that's something that I think Fenway is going to be looking for, but I'll let you take the floor because you're the one that wrote the story. Um, yes. Do, do we just want to like run down the list here? Before, we can do that. But before we get into it, um, when, when David was going over, like, you know, he's talking about the, um, you know, the next GM, he did use the term he or she. And like, as soon as he said that, I'm like, huh, I kind of blacked out for a second. I didn't hear the rest of the sentence at the time. But that there are, I know you only have one woman right now on, on your list, but there are a number of women in assistant GM roles across the league. I know Cami Granado is one you don't have on, on your list, but I mean, she's uh, very qualified in um, Vancouver. 
couple women, like I said, I know you have the New Jersey Devils assistant GM on yours, but Ali, I'll let you take the floor. You can shoot on the list. Yeah. So I, I had, I did have to take some liberties because like, uh, so the second I, I published, I have five people, uh, hockey executives on my list of, of potential candidates for them. And I was very explicit in saying, look, these are not rumors. This is just a list that like might be good fits for both parties. Well, the second I published the story, I've got comments like, how could you possibly leave XYZ name out of here? And I'm like, look, guys, like, I appreciate the passion, but like there was just zero chance that I could put together a comprehensive list with like every single fringe candidate make imaginable. A, make it a series. This is your first series. Oh, you do another looking, five in a week. <laughs> hopefully they hire somebody before I can get through it. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, uh, the, the one woman I did have on my list is Kate Madigan, who is the um, New Jersey Devils assistant manager right now. Um, she's kind of been described from, I, I haven't been all that familiar with her until I started doing a little bit of research, but she's kind of described as like a real, just like go getter and like a workhorse. Um, she's 30 years old right now. She was initially hired. Uh, so, so she's been with the devils the entirety of her, um, like hockey ops career, which I believe started back in 2017. Um, she was originally hired by Ray Shiro. And um, she started out just doing like low level, uh, like video and player analysis work and quickly started working her way up. Um, she was eventually promoted to director of pro scouting operations, which she did for a year. Um, then she was promoted to executive director of hockey operations before she was eventually um, promoted to assistant general manager. Um, and the thing about her right now is that she's been acting as kind of like a liaison between the analytics staff and the coaching staff, but she's also been acting as a liaison between the hockey operations department and the business operations department. And that really kind of falls in line here with what FSG was saying earlier today about, you know, wanting to have a forward thinking front office. Um, so, you know, again, the, there's so many moving parts here. We never know if she would want to leave the devils. We don't know if the penguins would have any interest in her, but like on the surface, it seems like there might be a good fit there between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, I know you have a couple, I think you had a couple, I guess they'd be retreads in your list. Yeah. So um, one of them is Jason Botterill, who uh, was with the penguins um, and in the penguins front office for a considerable amount of time. Uh, probably an unheralded piece of the front office work that went into the back-to-back -back cups in 16 and 17. Um, Cause he, like is basically, I actually, I think it was before the Penguins even won the second of those back-to-back -back cups. He was hired by the Sabres to be their general manager. Um, but it wasn't really until Botterill was gone. That was like, Oh, maybe he like was doing a lot of like stuff behind the scenes. that was really contributing to a lot of the winning here. Um, so he is currently Ron Francis's assistant general manager with the Kraken right now. Uh, the, the, it, it was kind of funny, like, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, but during his time as Sabres general manager, he was kind of looked at as like a little bit of a disappointment, didn't really get the job done. And he ultimately got fired back in, I think it was three years ago now in 2020. But now you look three years later and a lot of the work he did at that point has positioned the Sabres right now to get them kind of back on the 
back on the cusp of relevance here. Like they're going to be a playoff team next year and they're probably going to be a playoff team here for the next several seasons. And you look at some of their key contributors, uh, Rasmus Dahlin, Dylan Cousins, Matias Samuelson and trading for Tage Thompson. All those players are either stars or key contributors on their team. And they're all players that Botterill brought in. So all of a sudden it looks like a lot of the work that he did in Buffalo, um, was a little bit better than it was initially perceived. And the other thing is we don't really know the extent of the limitations he had under the Pagula's ownership of the Sabres. And we don't really know what kind of constraints he had, if he had the freedom to really do his thing, if he had certain mandates from them that he had to follow that, you know, maybe weren't conducive to building the kind of team he wanted. Um, but it, by all accounts, like he is going to be given another opportunity as a general manager around the NHL. So, um, you know, he, again, on the surface, you never know how an individual might be feeling about any given opportunity, but on the surface, seems like he and the Penguins might be another decent match. I know there's another guy with Penguins ties, uh, in Sam Ventura. Stat Sam. Yeah. So uh, he <laughs> might be maybe the most forward thinking person I had on my list. Uh, you go back and look. So Sam has a statistics degree from Carnegie Mellon University. But while he was there, he also served as an assistant coach um, for their men's hockey team. And I think that's really cool um, because a lot of the times like you get to people who are like, OK, like this is the stats person and this is the person who's got like the coaching experience. But you've, when you've got a person like that who has just like the raw knowledge of the game from like being down at ice level, being on the bench and really knowing how the game operates on, on that intimate level and then having the statistical knowledge and foundation to back up, back all of that up and apply it. Um, it is really intriguing to me, especially as a candidate for a general manager. Um, but he's a, he's another person who by all accounts has been like fast tracking his way to a very, very prominent role in an NHL front office, whether it be as an assistant general manager or a general manager. Um, and it, he was one of the guys like, maybe one of like the founding fathers of what's now known as like the, the analytics community. Um, he, I, I can't remember what exact presentation it was, but he had um, several of his studies that were like published in um, like stat newsletters um, and publications. And he was also one of the co-founders of one of the original analytics websites, waronice.com. So this dude, um, I, I'm probably a little biased because I'm the analytics stat guy, uh, but the, there is quite a bit of intrigue here, especially because like he did come up with the Penguins, um, worked his way up and, and was a, a lot of the analysis and like player evaluation stuff that he did was, was a key contributing factor on them winning back-to-back cups as well. Yeah. And then you have uh, one guy who's a head GM right now, Kyle Dubas. So just why do you have him on your list? Yeah, so that one probably caught some people by surprise. Um, but Dubis, maybe more than any other general manager right now, kind of fits the the forward thinking here again. Like I, I was trying to keep this within the realm of possibility. I didn't want to just be like, oh, well, this big name is a, is a candidate to be general manager. Like I wanted to at least tie some dots here. So Dubis fits that. He actually came up because of his commitment and understanding of statistics and data. So he was um, hired back in 2011 for, um, oh God, what? I should know what city this team was. It was an OHL team. I can't remember off the top uh, of my head Stu right Graham's. now. 
Yes, the Sue Greyhounds. Thank because, you. Because like running jokes that he has such loyalty to like Sue Greyhound guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, back and he had been. So I'll, I'll preface this by saying he had been around the team since like a he was a little boy, like just like as like an equipment guy. Like he was always at the rink. People called him like a rink rat. He was just always around. Well. Uh, the Greyhounds in 2011 had an opening for the general manager spot. He applied for it and went in for an interview. Supposedly, the people who were interviewing him and in the, in the higher ups of the organization were looking for somebody who had previous experience because the, the organization was not in a good spot at that time. Well, he impressed them so much that they unanimously decided to give him the job. And within three or four seasons, using and leaning into data and analytics to get a competitive advantage... Within three seasons, he had the Greyhounds as the second best team in the OHL. Uh, after that happened, he quickly got scooped up by the Toronto Maple Leafs. He hooked up with Brendan Shanahan and over the course of four years, worked his way up from assistant general manager to general manager, ousting the legend Lou Lamorello from his spot. Um, but why would the Penguins and him be a connection? Well, it's because Dubas is in the last season of his contract and while I don't entirely blame him for this, the Leafs have not won a playoff round still, despite the fact that they've been good for quite some time. And Dubas has basically been going all in on these Leafs teams for like the past two or three seasons now to push them closer to, to cup contention status. And it just hasn't been getting done. So it, I personally could see that spelling the end of the line for him in Toronto this season if they don't get the job done and, and win another round or even maybe go on to like, win a conference final or win the cup. Um, it, it, I could see them shifting in another direction. And the other thing I wonder about is that because he's in like one of the world's largest hockey markets and he's got like such a, a legend, like Brendan Shanahan in his front office and who's always in his ear. I wonder if like the autonomy that he might have as Penguins general manager with a clean slate where he doesn't have someone like Shanahan and all these other influential pieces in his ear telling him do this, do this and where he can just actually do his thing that might be appealing to him. So that was why he ended up making my list. Yeah. And then the last guy you had Mike Gillis. Yeah, Mike Gillis. So he is kind of like an oddball candidate on that list for me because he has not worked in an NHL front office since I want to say 2014 uh, when he was the Vancouver Canucks general manager. Um, he, he did some good things there. Uh, he ultimately got himself fired, though, um, because he traded both Corey Schneider, which ended up being the draft pick for Bo Horvat. So I'd say that ended up working out pretty well. But then they also traded Roberto Luongo to the Panthers. And then they went into the season with Eddie Lack, who obviously was a very, very unproven goaltender at the time, never really proved himself in the NHL, despite spending a bit of time running around there. But he went into the season with Eddie Lack as his number one. They kind of faltered, stumbled out of contention, and all of a sudden he got canned. That was the last of his work in the NHL, but he was actually a candidate for the Penguins GM job after Ru Jim Rutherford left and before Ron Hextall ultimately got hired. And probably the only reason he ended up even on my radar as someone was because his son accidentally, quote unquote, accidentally leaked his job application for Penguins general manager. And it's like this like 60 page, like, 
pamphlet of some of the most like amazing things I've ever seen. And I, I've never seen an, another front NHL front office job application before, but I'm reading through this and I'm like genuinely blown away by some of the things I was reading in there because it did seem very progressive. It did seem very <laughs> forward thinking. Um, and, and like a lot of the traits that he was talking about, obviously talking to talk is different than walking the walk, but a lot of the things he was talking about, not even related to hockey, but just being a leader really resonated with me. He's like, look, I want to lean into my support staff, like my analytics department, like my analysts. And I don't want to always profess to know the answer or know what the right thing is. And that all to me really stood out and, and was like, this is the kind of guy you want leading your organization on top of a lot of the good things he did have to say about building a roster and, and managing the cap and things like that. One of the things he did say about roster building was that like, you've got your core pieces and then you need to procure those complementary players that are going to get the most out of him. Well, you look at the Penguins situation right now, that's exactly what didn't happen for them this past season. So that right. is uh, why Gillis ended up on my list. Yeah. You have to do a series and come up with more, more names because I know there are other names people are throwing out there. Uh, yeah. like, the, the the one name I, and I the second I published my article, Carolina. I was like, yeah, Caroline is assistant general manager Eric Tolsky. Um, he's considered like one of the brightest hockey binds in the game right now. Mm -hmm. Seems seems to like always be on that cutting edge side um, of like the analytics and the stats side of things. Um, and I do believe he was one of the finalists for the Blackhawks general manager vacancies, uh, the Blackhawks general manager vacancy last year before Kyle Davidson was internally hired. Um, so he was somebody who, again, by all accounts, seemed like he's been trending toward getting a, a pretty prominent role like that as the general manager with somebody. So it, it's tough to gauge, you know, how much interest he might have in the Penguins job. I know I've said that about all these people. Um, but he was somebody that I was like, oh, God, like I screwed up and didn't get him on my list because he he seems like another one of those like yeah. almost picture perfect candidates based on what FSG has been talking about, what they're looking for. Yeah, just have to make a series. Kevin Weeks is another guy who's like seems to get pretty far uh, in these interviews when there's a job opening. Um, Pierre Maguire is a guy who says he gets pretty far. And didn't he say he's like the runner up for the Penguins job the one year? It's like, yeah, yeah. is he sure? <laughs> Well, sure, I, I personally would love that just for the, the comedy factor. Like, you can't tell me that would not be genuinely hilarious. Like, Hextall would just make, like, the fans mad. I feel like Pierre Maguire would just, like, bring the levity to a whole other level. I don't want to have to write out Christopher Letang every time I quote him. Like, <laughs> Ooh, Yeah, you know what? You're right. I, I don't want to do that. I, I take it all back. <laughs> Brooks or Peck. Like, there's <laughs> <laughs> okay we all right yeah we're gonna we're gonna wrap this segment up we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about some of the other takeaways from that uh press conference that i covered today so stay with us Right, and we're back. We have one more segment. Uh, I'm going to try not to fall asleep on it. We're going on 15 hours. It's been a long day. <laughs> like I said, uh, as soon as we got back from Columbus, obviously the Excel news broke. And, uh, the Penguins, they called a press conference uh, at Cranberry. Uh, Kevin Acklin, president of business operations. Dave Beeson, he's from Fenway. He's the rep that's been here um, most of the year. 
A lot of takeaways from that beyond just related to, you know, Hexall firing and the GM search. One of the big ones is that we really learned more about the extent of just Fenway's involvement because there's been this perception that they don't care. I feel like a lot of that just stems from people mad that the Penguins were not like on their website for like how many months as if John Henry's personally updating the, uh, their website. But it, it was pretty clear from today that um, they're involved. Number one, Beeston, he's not some nobody. They didn't just pick some intern and send him here. He's like the executive um, vice president, I think his role is a Fenway chief strategy officer. He does the same thing for like the Red Sox, who Fenway right. also owns. He's been here most of the year. He still lives in Boston. He's still technically Boston, but he's, you know, um, he's been like living in a hotel in Pittsburgh for a lot of years. He goes on the road um, a lot too. He's He's been the guy um, who's been around. And then even like John Henry, Tom Werner in Pittsburgh, which, is, you know, they're the, the, the top guys. John Henry's the principal owner. Um, Tom Werner's the chairman of FSG. They haven't been around a lot uh, physically in Pittsburgh, just a couple of times each, but uh, it was pretty clear, I think, from the press conference, but that there's a good level of communication between those guys uh, and here, including with Mario Lemieux. And that's something that... Yeah, so fans, all, I don't know if it's just because he was involved with the team so long, but like, there's been this like sense from fans that like Mario's out of the picture. Like this organization's a shell of itself. Like it's, it's falling apart from the foundation. Like all of it's, it's falling apart. And, well, it's yeah. <laughs> Kevin Acklin literally said it today. Well, yesterday, by the time you're listening to this, but he, he said he, Mario was involved for so long. Like he has earned some time on the golf course to just get away from everything. Yeah. Both, both of them made that point. And yeah, Acklin was the one that made, made the golf comment, but Beeston, who's, you know, pretty new to this and just getting to know Mario, it, like he, he kind of like lit up talking about Mario and he just talked about like how much he called it, I think a gift um, of just getting to know Mario and work with him. And he said, he's, you know, Mario has his heart and soul has gone into the penguins. Since he got drafted in 1980, that's a long time right. to devote your life to the Penguins. And he said, you know, he's entitled to take a year back. And they hope he's going to, you know, be more involved at some point, like physically be around just because he really hasn't come to games this season. He wasn't really coming to a ton of games towards the end before anyway. And really, but, who's going who's gonna to blame him for not coming and watching the 22-23 Penguins? In right. Because uh, I, I was there <laughs> against my will, and I hate no, it. <laughs> yeah, but so yeah, I think, you know, people, they saw, you know, he wasn't coming around as much, and there's this, like, oh, there's a rift between him and Fenway, and it, it doesn't seem like that's the case at all. And, you know, they talked to um, Acklin. Obviously, it's a good relationship with Mario. Acklin's been around a while. He talked to Mario Friday morning. But then so did John Henry, like the top guy in um, at, in Fenway, in Boston. And then obviously Beeson talks to him a lot too. So Mario's not out of the picture. He has been less involved this year. That's not necessarily how things are going to be moving forward. But um, just encouraging to know that, you know, he still wants to be around. Um, and that things haven't fallen apart there. 
Um, another takeaway is just what uh, Beeson said about the core and how commit they remain committed to the core. Uh, and Crosby specifically, he said it's very important to Fenway that Sidney Crosby does not ever play a game for another NHL team. He, he's going to retire Penguin, which I, I think one of the reasons people were upset about, you know, like Fenway coming in from the beginning because like, oh, these Boston guys coming in, they don't know anything. They don't know like the significance of some of these players. They don't have like the attachment to some of these players. Not that maybe, I mean, maybe it'd be a good thing to not be like emotionally attached to the, the players, but they understand the importance of like Sidney Crosby staying here for the rest of his career. He has two years left on his deal. Crosby, he was asked about this last summer. Just because, you know, all the Crosby, Latang talk, I mean, the Malk and Latang talk, Crosby's asked too, like, you know, what's up? What do you think is going to happen with you and your deal's done? And he doesn't want to talk about what's beyond that. He said, you, you would say, I have three years left on my deal. I'm going to play those years and then we'll see what happens. Um, so uh, the fact that Fenway remains committed to keeping Sid here for the rest of his career. Well, it's not even just Sid. I, like I, I know they've they've basically made their bed with Malkin and Latang already, but um, I think both of them said like we believe in this not only Crosby, but we believe in this core that we have. Like we still believe we can win a championship with this core, and they really painted the picture that they've wanted Malkin and Latang back all the time, which just takes us back to what we talked about in the first segment, and it's like if your ownership group was trying to prioritize mm -hmm. these two guys and yet you still tried playing hardball with both of them and then you still extended your buddy from throughout your career in the middle of the season who did not deserve an extension whatsoever, what is going on here? But anyway, we don't need to get back in the next one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the course stuff. Uh, nice to see. He was also asked about, you know, balancing going for, you know, a Stanley Cup and also like a rebuild at the same time, not like a full rebuild, but, you know, just not blowing all your um, your draft picks, getting rid of all your draft picks in, in the pursuit of a cup. And and that's what he didn't really talk a whole lot about philosophy, stuff like that. But he, he that, that was an opportunity. He used to say, like, no, we are like all in on a cup still and bringing a championship uh, back to Pittsburgh. Uh, Ackland was there too. Ackland didn't really, it was more about Beeson just because we've never, we've never met Beeson. Um, right. Ackland was asked about just like financially uh, the state of the team, because you know, you have fear of the penguins. You're, you're planning on playoff at least one round of, of revenue. They missed out on. He said the, the as a business, the penguins are as strong as ever. So no concerns there. Uh, only real takeaway I, I, I'd mentioned is just um, this wasn't. He talked. They, this was in the press release too. But then also, you know, they they mentioned it. So in the meantime, as they're looking for a GM who's going to be managing the day to day stuff with the team, not that there's a whole lot at this time of year. I guess there's. I mean, there's there's UFAs you got to start talking to. Who's going to be doing that? Um, it's Alex Shaw. He's the director of hockey ops. He's the um, He's the salary cap guy. He's the guy who, who figures all that out. Um, Eric Heasley, he's the Wilkes-Barre's GM and manager of hockey ops, hockey operations analyst, Andy Socher, um, used to be the video coach, making all the challenges. So they're going to be handling just like the day-to-day -day stuff. And then they also said 
Um, Mike still had a little assist during the transition, so you know maybe more of the stuff that Hextall would have been doing at this time of year, Sullivan can like step up to. So that's all that's happening. I have to say, people were blowing up on Twitter somehow misread that to say that like these guys are picking the GM. Mike Sullivan is not picking his new boss. That is not happening. That is not what that said. That is not how this works. Fenway is doing the job. They're not just letting the remaining penguins. Reading comprehension is very hard, Taylor. When I uh, <laughs> earlier to earlier today, when I I just said I tweeted out something about Hextall, it was like, look, like yes, he stunk as a GM and needed to go, but like he, by all accounts, seemed like a good guy and was like a really I. I actually said from my experience as well as other firsthand accounts he seemed like a genuinely good guy and was perfectly fine to work for well somebody responded to me and goes this is worded really poorly and i was like is it worded poorly or is reading comprehension hard <laughs> yeah I, um i tweeted like because i tweeted this like I, and i put in like our live file too about um obviously these moves were warranted um unsurprising deserved but you know what we talked about in the first segment or just about how they were very clearly great people i had nothing but good interactions with them and like one of the first replies is like none of that matters it's a business i don't care what there are as people and i was like well that's why i said in the first part of the sentence is that this was deserved <laughs> warranted unsurprising i, I uh, mean some people just won't let you win like you can qualify anything any kind of way and they'll find a way to just be like oh well what about because oh, I, I i also said um yeah just my my last interaction with them like they were like asking me about like women's worlds and like we were talking about marie philippe plan and one of the replies was like well, maybe if they weren't so worried about the canadian women's national hockey team and focus on the penguins instead then we wouldn't be in this mess and it's like we're in an elevator after a practice uh they're going down to offices take 30 seconds to talk about yeah. women's hockey i don't think that that means hextall's hold up in his office watching marie philippe plans many overtime goals instead yeah. of I, I, th I think a lot of people can lose sight of the fact that like these people are still human beings that like have families like Hextall has like a wife that he goes home to like Burke has a girlfriend like th these people are still humans they're not just hockey robots like honestly you and I are probably more hockey robots than they are because we're dealing with keeping up with them all the friggin time right so like they go home they cook dinner I gotta pick up Wendy's because I gotta go home and write I don't have time to cook and clean dishes and everything so these that sounds pretty good um but like they're human beings they're living lives too they're not sitting there like fixating or like pouting and moping like oh we lost we lost two out of three games this week i'm gonna sit in my office and mope and pout until it gets better like what the, I, I just don't I, I don't i don't know what people reasonably expect a lot of the time they want the players to be as miserable as they are in the front office too yeah That's well, it's okay. kind of I, I think it would be a little hard to be that miserable considering how much money they make and, and the lives that they get to live. Like, yes, I, I'm not saying it's for the faint of heart, but like they do get to play hockey for a living and we get to cover yeah. hockey for a living. So like, yeah, don't make quite as much, but we're going to wrap <laughs> it up here. We've been going way too long. Uh, you're going to be listening to this on Saturday. We're probably going to be at the Penguins cleanout day, Penguins cleanout day. Saturday, 9.45 a.m. Uh, hopefully it won't be four hours like last year. Fingers crossed. 
so stay tuned for all that. DK Pittsburgh Sports uh, coverage all throughout the offseason. We got a lot of ideas. Uh, podcast, we're going to keep this going. Um, I think we're going to slow down at some point during the offseason when we take some time off. But we're going to have, obviously, stuff to talk about in the near future for sure. We'll do stuff for the big moments, too, like uh, Development Camp, my Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> thanks again. Uh, if you're new here, we drop podcasts every Saturday, hopefully most Saturdays over the summer. Uh, you can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Google. Uh, and we're on YouTube on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Penguins YouTube. We're now our own YouTube channel, all Penguins content. So look us up there. Look us up uh, on the site. Again, wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks again for listening. We hope you join us again next week.